0: If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. I do want to encourage you to check out our other podcast. In particular, I'm highlighting our Volume One feed at volume1.greatdetectives.net. When this is released, we'll have more than 650 episodes from the first three seasons of The Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, and we're adding 20 episodes per week. So you can experience series like Sherlock Holmes, Let George Do It, Barry Craig, Box 13, and our first run through Johnny Dollar. In July, we'll have finished posting the first three seasons, but then we'll start our Volume 2 feed, which we'll discuss in a future podcast. In a moment, we're going to get into today's episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, to First of all, we will be posting Episodes 1 and 2 of the serial. Episodes 3 through 5 will be posted on Friday. Also be sure to listen to the closing commentary on Friday's podcast as we will have a different schedule for yours truly Johnny Dollar next week as we commemorate the 110th birthday of Bob Bailey. But now, from January 30th and January 31st, 1956, here is The Flat Six Matter, Episodes 1 and 2. From Hollywood, it's time now for...
1: Pete Cordley, Johnny Dollar. Pete Codley, Johnny, Guarantee Transport.
2: Oh, hiya, Pete. Seen the papers? No, I just got up. Why, what's happened?
1: Air crash, for one thing.
2: Air crash, where?
1: Mexico. Flight 6, Aztec Caribbean Line, Mexico City to Havana. Crashed in the mountains ten minutes after takeoff. Seven passengers and a crew of three. Survivors? The way it sounds, none.
2: Oh, tough. How do you come into it, Pete?
1: We underwrite a company that handles flight insurance down there. Three of the passengers bought policies at the airport. We're stuck for $75,000. This is a nice time of the year in Mexico, Johnny.
2: What do you want me to do? Find out why it crashed?
1: No, I know why it crashed. Somebody meant for it to. What do you mean? That plane blew up in midair. I'll get you a reservation. Tonight and
2: every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly... Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Home Office, Guaranteed Transport Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Flight 6 matter. Item 1, $173.20, airline fare and incidentals, Hartford, Connecticut to Mexico City. I checked my baggage through customs and started making inquiries, and more inquiries, and then some more. And after the 14th, Gensabe, maybe is better, you ask him, I found the office I was looking for. Or at least I thought I'd found it. The flowery Spanish title on the door translated roughly into Inspector General of the Department of Civil Air Transport. But when I opened the door, I wasn't so sure.
3: Come in, Jack. Make yourself to home.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. I was looking for the... I found
3: him. That's me. Don't let the big words on the door fool you. I'm all there is. There ain't no more. So come in. Shut the door. All right. Thanks. (laughs) Is uh, your name uh, Dollar?
2: That's right. Johnny
3: Dollar. Um, Macklin here. Mac Macklin. One-time mongrel from the south side of Chicago. I got a wire from your office. Said you'd be in on Pan Am Flight 12. Pull up a chair and squat will you. All right. What were you expecting? <laughs> Spanish grandee with a white silk shirt, a black silk tie, and a second cousin on the cabinet?
2: Well, maybe. At least I wasn't figuring on a Southside mick with a 17th century desk and a cotton sweatshirt. Uh,
3: well, now, here's what little dope we've got on the crash.
2: Most of which you probably know already. I left on 20 minute notice. All I've seen is one newspaper item. I can use a lot more.
3: Well, you won't get much more out of that report. We got a crew over at the wreckage around two hours ago. Survivors? No. He didn't have a chance. That crate is scattered over ten acres of mountainside. Didn't catch fire, though, so we might turn up something or other. Well, I've got a good man in charge up there, Juno Romero. You'll meet him later. I'm sending
2: another jeep up there in a few minutes, and you can go along if you want. Thanks, I will. My company figure's sabotage. Any chance they're wrong? Could it have been accidental? Equipment failure, personnel failure, something like that?
3: Well, if I thought so, I'd be up there at the wreck myself. That'd be my kind of job, but this one's different. Oh, it's detective work, your kind of job. Gino Romero's. Now, he talks as soft as a girl out of finishing school. Looks a little like one, in fact. But underneath it, he's as sharp as a tack and tougher than an old boot full of nails.
2: What actually happened when the plane went down? All I've heard is that it blew up in midair.
3: That's right. Well, a few Indians were on the only ones who saw it. They were burning charcoal up on a slope at about 9,000 feet. They were watching the plane circle, gaining altitude. Then one big flash, the tail blew off pilot didn't have a chance. He rode it straight into the side of the mountain.
2: The tail, that sounds like the
3: baggage compartment. That's the way I figure it. An explosive of some kind, a time bomb smuggled on board before the takeoff. I'm covering that angle from this end. I'm rounding up every one of the baggage gang, the maintenance crew, anybody who had a chance to get near that plane before it left the field out there.
2: And what have you found out?
3: You so far, nothing. We're trying to check back, too, and the individual passengers, the plane crew, trying to find out who might benefit by having any one of them dead? Well, I guess that'll be your angle, too. Yeah. Yeah, at least as far as insurance is concerned. Well, there were three flight policies issued, and the names are in the reports here, so... Yeah, I know.
2: I've got them. The home office gave them to me, along with the names of the beneficiaries.
3: I haven't talked to any of them yet. I
2: figured that you know how to go about it better than I would. There's another possible insurance angle, and that's the cargo. Do you know if there was anything valuable on board? Worth destroying for the insurance, you mean... No,
3: it was done by somebody who deliberately set out to kill one of the ten people on board that plane. And who didn't mind killing nine others to get that one. It was premeditated, cold blooded. Now you get him, Johnny. Get him for me. And then just leave me alone with them for about. Come in.
1: One of you, Senor McLean, Inspector General de Departamento de. Yes,
3: that's me. What can I do for you, Jack?
1: They will not give to me any information, senor MacLean. Not the police, nor the airline office, nor any... Who are you? What information do you want? I am Ramon de Lagos, senor, and I am here... De Lagos? Wait a minute. That's the name of one of the... Yes. Um... Look, uh, are you related to Maria de Lagos? My wife. She was on the plane. Tell me, please, what news do you have? Have you reached the scene of the crash? Yes, we have, two hours ago. And what did you... Is there any chance... I'm sorry, there were no survivors.
3: No. Oh, no. Hey, I'm sorry, Senor de Labos. It is too terrible. I, I didn't know you were here in the city, or I'd have, I'd have let you know right away. I sent word to your office in Havana.
1: I, I have been here for six weeks. Maria came for a visit only a few days ago. Now... I know, it's, it's a rough deal. I, I, I am sorry.
3: Oh, I, I, this is Johnny Dollar from the
1: States. Senor.
3: Later, I... sir. He's here to investigate the cause of this thing.
1: What is the use, senor? It will not return life to the dead. No, but I don't like to see a murderer get away with it. A murderer? Then the rumors are true. The plane was destroyed deliberately. It is hard to believe that anyone would... Senor McLean, what arrangements are being made? The uh, the bodies will be brought down to the Federal District Hospital. And I'll see that you're notified. Gracias, senor. No, no, let's see. I... I believe your wife's brother, Don Serrano, is staying at the Hotel Regis. Yes, he is, but I am at the Monte Casino. Don Serrano and I are not friendly. I see. All right, senor, then I'll contact you at
3: the Monte Casino as soon as I have word.
1: You are very kind. And again, I'm...
3: Well, I'm sorry.
1: Yes, that is all one can say. Adios, senores.
2: Know anything about him, Mac?
3: Well, only what his wife filled out on the flight form. He's Cuban. Residence and business address, Havana, in the export game. And you know, of course, that his wife was one of the three people who took out accident policies. But naming a brother, Don Serrano, as beneficiary. I wonder why. Well, that's one of the six dozen questions you can ask when you start prowling. Look, I hate to rush you, Johnny, but I ought to start that jeep up the mountain. I'm ready anytime. time. I'll let Gino know you're coming. And you check with me if you want anything. You'll have full cooperation from the federal police and the government. And to repeat just one thing, Johnny... Yeah,
2: I know. Whoever did it, get him. Check. Check. The jeep driver was a young Mexican boy who'd been brought up in the best and wildest chauffeuring traditions of the capital. He knew only one way to drive, with both accelerator and horn wide open. Since most of the other drivers were playing the same game, it was a sheer miracle that we ever got through the narrow streets of the city and finally reached the open valley. Maybe the colored postcard pasted on the dashboard, a picture of the Virgin of Guadalupe, had something to do with it. We finally left the last cart road and bumped along a narrow woodcutter's trail cleared and widened enough now so that we could drive into the crash area and miss the mile-and-a-half walk the first rescue party had been forced to take. For some reason, only a small part of the wreckage had caught fire and burned, and the rest was strewn piecemeal along a great raw gash through the trees and brush. Men in uniforms of the Mexican army searched through the tragic debris, lifting, sorting, and collecting, and nearby, a silent group of Indians were watching, with the age-old sadness in their eyes.
4: You are uh, Senor Dollar, no? Yes. Uh, Gino Romero, Senor. Oh, glad to know you, Gino. It's a terrible thing, no? Yeah. Any ideas yet? Uh, not of importance, but it's certain now this: it was caused by one explosion which has occurred in the baggage compartment. Uh, Venga, sir. Uh, come on. We have found many pieces which can be identified. Uh, can be known which part of the plane they are in before the crash. I see. Toward the front, these pieces are more large, but in the back, near the tail, they are very little. Oh, here, uh, you look. These are pieces of the baggage. uh, Muy pequeño. Hmm? uh, Very tiny. Oh, yeah. The crash itself wouldn't have done this. It had to be an explosion. Seguro. And look, it's burnt a little, each one of these pieces, but these more big ones from the seats of the plane, they are not burnt. Here, uh, you smell these ones.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I see what you mean. Either dynamite or nitroglycerin.
4: Was dynamite. We have fine little tiny pieces of red paper from the wrappings on the sticks. Was dynamite. Any idea how much? How big a charge? One of the soldados, uh, Pascual, who have used most explosives, is think maybe 30 or 40 pounds.
2: Light enough to be put on board in a piece of luggage. It's going to be tough, Gino. Plenty tough, to. They're
4: bringing out the bodies.
2: The Indians set up a low, wailing dirge. And one of them tapped softly on a native drum. A wordless terror before the ancient mystery, death. One by one, the bodies passed us, borne by the silent soldiers.
4: But padre de Dios, may they find peace. Then, for
2: the first time, I noticed the girl standing alone some distance away, watching without expression as the stretches passed her. She was young, blonde, and beautiful. Not conventionally so, but beautiful as a young animal is beautiful. And she looked very much out of place.
4: You are observing the senorita, no? What's she doing up here? Quién she sabe? She's strange, that one. Always she's look for danger. She's what you say, um, the, the daredevil. What is like, she always have the charm. Death has never find her. So perhaps she has come here to look on his face. Do you know who she is? Why, see. She's American. Her name is Marvel Terrence.
2: Marvel Terrence?
4: You have heard of her, senor?
2: I'd heard of her, all right. And I'd wondered what kind of a girl would have a first name like Marvel. And now I knew, partly at least. And I planned to find out a whole lot more. Three of the people who died on that plane had taken out flight policies. Maria de was one of them. The other two were men, both of whom had named as beneficiary Marvel Terence. <laughs> Johnny Dollar here. Go ahead.
3: McMacklin, Johnny. Is Gino around?
2: Yeah, he's over across the slope at the moment. They're getting the bodies out of what's left of the plane.
3: Well, how does it look? Anything new?
2: Nothing we hadn't already guessed. It was an explosion, all right. Dynamite in the baggage compartment. Probably put on board in a piece of luggage.
3: Well, that figures. I've run into something down here in the city along those same lines. What do you mean? The ground crew remembers one of the baggage handlers acting strange before flight six took off last night. A man named Ramirez.
2: What do you mean strange?
3: Uh, They say he had one suitcase that he wouldn't let any of the other handlers touch. Put it on the plane himself just before takeoff.
2: Hmm. Hey, you know anything about tigers, Mac?
3: Tigers?
2: I'm about to tangle with one. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Mexico City, to the Home Office Guarantee Transport Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment the Flight 6 matter. Expense account continued. I was taking Gino Romero's word for it that the girl was a tiger. His word and my own instincts. At first glance, she seemed soft, shy, and lovely. Then you sensed a wildness about her. A kind of suppressed violence that brought you up short and made you stop and reappraise her. She leaned against a tree, watching the bodies of the plane crash victims being carried down the slope and placed in the army jeep, with no sign of emotion on her face, cool, detached. She had no reason to be here, and I wondered why she was. The only way I knew of finding out was to ask her. Yes, what is it? You're Marvel Terrence, I believe.
5: That's right, and I've not met you somewhere before.
2: No, but you're about to. My name is Johnny Dollar. I'm an investigator for an insurance company up in the States. I'm
5: sure it must be very interesting work.
2: Sometimes, on some jobs. Other times, it's only dirty and disgusting. Like this time, for instance.
5: Well, we all have our problems.
2: Maybe I can help you with yours, Miss Terrence.
5: Run along, will you? I'm not in the mood.
2: Oh, you amaze me. I think that seeing ten bodies picked up and hauled away ought to put anyone in a gay, carefree mood. Look... Beat it. You came out here sightseeing, didn't you, 20 miles from town? So you must like this kind of thing.
5: I had friends on that plane, Mr. Dollar.
2: So did a lot of other people. But maybe not as good friends as you had.
5: I don't know what you're talking about, and I don't care.
2: E.H. Palmer and Jim Rourke. Were those your friends,
5: Miss Terrence? Now, let's get this straight. I'm not interested in playing footsies or any other game you have in mind. You're wasting your time, Buster. Now get going. Oh,
2: wait a minute. Maybe you've got the wrong idea. This isn't just a social chat.
5: No, you want to help me with my problem. Just one problem.
2: I'm wondering how you're going to spend that $50,000. What? Yeah, that's a fair-sized chunk of money to drop right out of the sky.
5: What are you talking about? What $50,000? The
2: money you'll get from the deaths of your two friends, Palmer and Rourke. What do you mean? Say, tell me, were you with them at the airport last night when Flight Six took off?
5: Yes, I was. Then you must have
2: known that they both took out flight policies, and that both of them named you as beneficiary.
5: No, no, I didn't know. I, I wasn't with them exactly. At least not up until takeoff.
2: Then you claim this is all just a big surprise.
5: Of course, I didn't know a thing about it. But it's just like them. It's what they do.
2: Why did you come out here to the wreck, Miss Terrence?
5: I don't know. Ed and Jim were my friends, and I... I don't know why I came, Mr. Dollar.
1: She came because I brought her, mister.
5: No, Bill.
2: But I didn't bring her here to be pushed around by some morbid curiosity.
5: No, please. This is Johnny Dollar, Bill. He's an insurance investigator. Bill Blakely, Mr. Dollar. Oh, hello. He was asking me some questions. Why you? Because Ed and Jim both took out insurance policies in my name. What?
2: Flight accident policies, $50,000 worth. Well, I'll be... Mr. Blakely, be... you said Miss Terrence is here because you brought her. I wonder if you'd tell me why you're here. I don't know that it's any of your business. Sometimes I make things my business. Then sometime you may get your teeth knocked out. They're in pretty solid, Blakely. Yeah? Well, maybe... Bill, stop it. Sorry, Marvel.
5: Ed Palmer and Jim Rourke were Bill's business partners. What
2: business, Mr. Blakely? Engineering. We're building some roads around Mexico City. How many partners? Just the three of you? Yes, yeah, just... A... That's right, Dollar. The business belongs to me now. What about it? Nothing about it. Congratulations. One more crack like that... Bill, I said stop it! Let's go, Marvel. I've got to get back to town.
5: Wait for me at the truck. I'll be there in a few minutes.
2: All right. Sit yourself. Dollar, just one thing. Don't push me. Blakely, ten people died over there on that hillside last night. They were murdered. I intend to find out who did it. And if it takes pushing to find out, then I'll push. See you around. Yeah. You probably will.
5: This thing hit Bill pretty hard, Mr. Dolly. You have to make allowances.
2: How long have you known him?
5: A couple of months. And
2: Palmer and Rook?
5: The same. Nothing serious, nothing romantic, if that's what you're thinking. It was all just for fun.
2: Was that all it was on their side?
5: Oh men always claim to be serious. But that's only part of the game.
2: What else do you do, Miss Terence, besides play the game?
5: That's all. I'm a wealthy orphan, Mr. Dollar, and my only career is drifting around the world playing the game. I'm ornamental, irresponsible, and rather useless.
2: Maybe not entirely useless. Just being ornamental has some importance in this world.
5: So you play too, huh? No, I meant it. I guess I was pretty obnoxious when you spoke to me a while ago.
2: Well, I suppose I asked for it.
5: I'm staying at the Hotel Monte Casino. Are you? I'd like to see you again. I could teach you the game, Johnny.
2: Well, that's a very attractive offer, outside of business hours.
5: But you think I'm mixed up in this?
2: No, I'm not sure.
5: Well, think about it, Johnny. You can call me at my hotel. The Monte
2: Casino. That's where Delagos is staying. Happen to know him?
5: Ramon? Well, yes, of course. Why?
2: One of the passengers killed on that plane was his wife. Didn't you know?
5: I saw the name DeLagos, but I... I didn't even know he had a wife.
2: Another? Just for fun?
5: I think you've got some wrong ideas about me, Johnny. Come see me and I'll straighten them out for you. All right. I will. And something else. You'll find it out anyway, so I may as well tell you. Tell me what? I had reservations on Flight 6, too. I was going over to Havana for the weekend. I canceled out at the last minute. I see. Maybe that's why I came out here, to see for myself. I'm not afraid of death. I've tempted it too many times to be. But it does fascinate me. I stood there watching and thinking. Could have been me being carried down that slope except for luck.
2: Why did you cancel out at the last minute?
5: I was talked out of making the trip. By whom? Bill Blakely.
2: I watched her swing down the slope, lithe, erect, and lovely. A strange girl, with an air of aloneness about her, an air that I felt would be with her even in the crowd. Strange, but also compelling. Exciting. She might be involved or she might not. I didn't know. But I was sure of one thing. In either case, I was going to see her again. An hour later, Chino Romero and I were heading back toward the city in the government jeep, leaving behind us the wrecked plane, the crushed trees, and the lonely slope on the mountain.
4: You have found the young lady of interest, senor? Yeah, I found her of interest. <laughs> Always she's doing the crazy things. Daredevil... Flirting with the eyes, looking for danger. Playing the game, she calls it. Sí, si, señor. Playing the game. Que lástima. It is too sad that ten persons are not be playing the game now anymore.
2: Oh, it's all right, Gino. I'm not that much under her spell. ¿Qué dice? If she's guilty in any way, I'll pin it on her just as quick as the next one.
4: Oh, but I didn't. It's all, mean all right, that. forget it. No, I do not think she's guilty. It is not a thing she would do, and. She does not need the money. She's very rich. Do you know that? Everybody says so. Well, that's what I mean. It's worth checking into. Es posible, but I still do not think she would do such a thing. It is too terrible. And she's too beautiful. <laughs> Maybe I ought to give you the advice, Gino. Before the beauty of a woman, senor, we are all as brothers, like senor Bla- uh, Blakely... I see he would look very disturbed. Yeah, he did get a little hot under the collar. What do you know about him, Gino? Almost nothing. He's come here for three months now, making the road. And his partners, Palmer
2: and Rourke, were killed in the plane crash. What do you know about them? The same.
4: Nothing. They all arrive together always. They work together, play together. Then along came Marvel Terrence. True. They were all rivals for the senorita. And there is one thing. What's that? They have the building for the machinery outside the city, the warehouse, you call it. What about it? In this warehouse, they keep much dynamite.
2: Gino dropped me in my hotel, the Del Prado, on Avenida Juarez. I changed clothes, cleaned up, sent some telegrams to the States. At about that time, Mac Macklin phoned up from downstairs and asked me to join him in the bar. Expense account item three, $16.40. Drinks and dinner with the Chief Inspector of the Federal Department of Civil Air Transport. And then some more drinks.
3: I've been here seven years, Johnny.
2: I like it. I feel at home here.
3: I like the people and their way of life. But it'd still be good to see you all shy again. The snow piling up along the loop, the wind ripping in off the lake.
2: The crazy little joints along Baker Street. When were you there last, Mac? 1932. Oh, then you're about due. Well, why don't you take a couple of weeks
3: and fly up there? No, no. Too much water under the bridge, Johnny. Too many little wars here and there in the world since 32. Mm. And two of them, McMacklin, was flying in them. On one side or the other. Oh, what of it? Well, you know, Uncle Sam frowns on that kind of thing, Johnny, so we've got a sort of an understanding. I stay the heck away, and he forgets about me. I see. (laughs) I've got no complaints, actually. I'm I, I'm doing all right here, but, but sometimes I sure do get homesick for the old town. Of course, it's probably changed so much that I... Oh, yeah, yes. Uh,
4: Confirm me the telephone, uh, Señor McLean. Oh, thanks. I uh, plug it in.
3: Hello, yeah? What? All right, well, well, have you told the federal police? Yeah, I'll be here for a while. Adios. Well, we just lost our best angle, Johnny. What do you mean? That baggage handler, the one I figured, slipped the dynamite on board the plane. The boy's just now located him. His throat has been cut.
2: Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow... A bereaved relative lies, a frustrated lover comes up fighting, and a lovely lady in the case just vanishes. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
0: Welcome back! Well, I don't think you'll find a more solid first two episodes of a serial. This does a great job setting up the serial and introducing the characters as well as setting the tone. The explosion effect that was used at the start of the first two episodes was an interesting choice. It's not something that I've heard other American radio serials do. I do remember a similar device being used in some 1960s and maybe into the 70s Doctor Who uh, stories, obviously British television, where after the theme music, they would have this standard, you know, two or three second brief visual that would essentially serve as a recurring motif for the entire serial I also think they did a good job both in the way they portrayed the crash investigation as well as how they managed to give weight to what had happened. The description of the Indian tribe being present and their reactions to the removal of the bodies. And it makes you appreciate Bob Bailey as a narrator. Because I think particularly in this story, he's not only playing Johnny Dollar, but he's being called upon to create the scene and to set the mood with his voice to help us as an audience see all of this. And he's just doing a superb job. I liked Macklin, and it was a surprise and a little bit of a switch from what you expected to find waiting for Johnny in the office. And also as a police character who I think is playing off Johnny nicely. And I think both of the cliffhangers for these episodes were really good. Just the perfect bombshell twist that, would have any red-blooded listener tuning in to the next episode. Well, listener comments and feedback now, and we start out with Facebook messages. Uh, First of all, Colton sends in a nice uh, message. I just wanted to say thank you. You do so much for old-time radio. I love your commentary, and I wish you had a Just Adams podcast that told old-time radio history and fun facts and whatever Adam wanted to say. You have, from what I can see, as a 32-year-old UPS driver, brought back what was pretty much lost, and your organization is on point. So thank you so much, and please keep trucking. Well, thank you so much, Colton. I appreciate your kind comments. I have toyed with the idea of doing intermittent podcast where we kind of talk about old time radio stuff uh nostalgic television stuff and i might have uh, folks on who are in the old-time radio preservation sphere and talk to them about some of the incredible things that they're doing. I've also toyed with the idea of Ask Me anything, but I think anything we've done in the past that's been kind of live has not gotten great attendance, and I think one of the great conveniences of the podcast is that you can listen to episodes whenever you want, And also, it's a challenge because not everyone listens to the episodes immediately. Uh, As of this uh, recording date, uh, we've had 840 uh, people listen to the McCormick matter in the past 30 days. And when people are listening to the show at different times, that makes getting something live together tricky. But I might do something like that if there's interest. I can tell you that I do have plans for a new project that will allow us to explore more radio history. And I hope to have something uh, to announce uh, fairly uh, fairly soon. But that is in the works. I also do encourage you to check out our website, greatdetectives.net. There, every Saturday, I post an article. Recently, I did one on fun facts to help uh, understand old-time radio programs. And I review different mysteries, audio dramas, a lot of different stuff. So uh, I encourage folks to check that over out at greatdetectives.net every Saturday. And I should say that you always want to give credit where credit is due. We would not have all of these wonderful old-time radio recordings if it were not for the collectors of the 1960s and 70s, as well as the work of modern-day preservationists. And all of us who do podcasts or online radio stations that play old-time radio, are popularizing it and bringing that work to the general public. But thanks again, Colton. I appreciate your comments. And then we have uh, another Facebook message, this one from Chris, who writes, I'm from Nampa. I'm a truck driver and listen every day. You need a story in the news locally in Boise. Well, thanks for the comment, Chris. Now, for those of you not familiar with the area, Nampa is a city about 20 miles uh, up the freeway, give or take, from where I live. I'm always open to doing interviews, and I actually did a local interview, I believe it came out the end of March, on my friends uh, Becky and Steve Lyle's their podcast, Let Me Tell You a Story. And I will link that in the show notes. I drove over to their house in Boise and we did the interview there and they just kind of spent 40-odd minutes talking to me about the podcast and uh, it's always fun to be able to have those conversations because I love to talk about the things I love to talk about. In terms of more traditional outlets like newspapers or radio programs, it really is a challenge to get noticed in today's world. Uh, When I first started podcasting and was doing a a political podcast, you know, back before old time radio, I, I was actually going through an old newspaper clipping And I'd been interviewed with a group of different folks who were blogging or doing whatever. And I mentioned that I had a podcast that had 15 whole subscribers. Wow, 15 uh, back in 2005. And I was just kind of like, if I only had 15 subscribers, why the heck did I even bring this? (laughs) But today, you've got the whole creator economy, they call it. And there are... 11 million Americans who are working in that area. Now, obviously, not all of them are full-time. You might have a YouTube channel with a 1,000 subscribers, post videos where you review tools, and you make, you know, a $100 a month or something. You're one of those 11 million. So in that sort of environment, it's really hard to get the attention of mainstream media. And even if you do yeah, it doesn't really help in the long run, at least from my experience. Whether it's books or podcasts or blogs, nothing. I've done interviews, you know, in the past, you know, in my 20s, and nothing really took off as a result, and the influence of those mainstream outlets has gotten even less uh, over the intervening years. It's, Always fun to talk about old-time radio. And if anyone calls, I'd be happy to discuss it with them. But honestly, I would rather have folks telling their friends or leaving a good review on the Apple Podcast Store because I think what we do here is very niche. It's not a podcast everyone's going to listen to or even the majority of people are going to listen to. And so it's just kind of been those sort of word of mouth uh, methods that have worked best for us over the years. But I appreciate the thought and hope that I didn't uh, over answer that one for you, Chris. And as Colton said, keep on trucking. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Andrew. Andrew has been one of our Patreon supporters since March of 2020, currently supporting the program at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Andrew. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us with your favorite podcast software. We'll be back on Friday with our next episode of yours truly johnny dollar and please listen after that episode for details on the schedule for next week but join us back here tomorrow for dangerous assignment where i've been expecting you
2: mitchell looks like a sweet mess they've dropped in your lap yeah according to the commissioner there's been enough dynamite stolen over the past six months to blow up the whole works down here just about you know there hasn't been much talk or publicity about the canal lately but it's still just as important as ever if, for any reason, our ships couldn't use it in the event of war, it could be pretty disastrous. I know. Look, I brought this piece of string with me, no. Dean, and right now I'm feeling slightly foolish about it. But I don't huh? blame you. Piece of string, 11 inches long, with four knots in it. Yeah. That's supposed to be the key to the whole deal. Uh, do you think it is? I don't know what to think, Mitchell. All I know is they found it in Slater's pocket. Yeah. Oh, he must have been pretty close. That's obviously why he was killed. Mm-hmm. How about his apartment? Have you got a key? Yeah, we've kept it locked up since the murder. Uh, here it is. I'll write down the address for you. Okay, thanks. I'll take a look around there and see if I can find anything that'll help make some sense out of this hunk of string.
0: I hope you will be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.